0: today we're sitting down with lucas kobian of euphoria mx rider development chatting about the business of coaching in the motorsports world going a step deeper motocross and supercross lucas how's it going today it's going great man how you doing what what is euphoria mx euphoria max is uh
1: it's a training it's where you go to learn how to ride a dirt bike you know if you have goals to be a pro one day we have everything it takes to get you there and or just be a safe rider overall it's a community
0: you can meet a bunch of people here it's a motocross supercross dirt bike training business so you you basically function as a coach what's your background
1: My background, it kind of started out, I've lived on this property here in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin at a year old. There's a bunch of pictures of me just obsessed with dirt bikes and just around it 24-7. By the time I was three, I was riding. And then by the time I turned seven, I was racing. I've always kind of tried to progress and I always had that dream of being a top pro one day. With riding dirt bikes, it's dangerous. You have injuries. You have all that involved with it as well. And when I would get hurt, I was always at the track, you know, trying to help my buddies or doing whatever it took to make them better too. So I've always tried to make it to the top level myself, even when I had a downfall or something that would hold me back, I was always there like coaching. So it's kind of my background. It's what makes me who I am today. I've always just been so passionate about the sport and helping the sport grow and helping my buddies get better and myself, and we all push each other to get better. So that's kind of how it all started.
0: So age three. You get your first dirt bike. Age seven, you're racing. Walk us through just the racing piece, because this is kind of the tuition, and I think this sets the stage for, for how Lucas can be coaching other athletes and riders. You attain pro status, correct? Correct. That's the top of the sport. You right. can't go any higher. I mean, we, we could have a conversation about seasons and points and championships and things of that nature, but at the end of the day, you made it
1: right and yeah when I was you know three years old I'd say that was the ultimate goal the dream you know I'd watch it on tv but you know I'd say my first race when I was seven years old there is zero chance I ever would have thought that I'm going to be where I am today so it all kind of happens really quickly but you have to just trust the process you know it's like to see where I'm at today you know it's it's came so far and there's been the ups and the downs and and all that kind of stuff but yeah to truly make it is is incredible it's been a long long time coming and it's it's crazy
0: how many hours do you think you you have on a on a bike in the dirt and even if we you know if you count how many of your big bikes had hour meters where where are we thousands of hours
1: yeah definitely in the thousands you know it's like you try to put a you know about 100 hours on a bike you'll sell it you have to rebuild it a couple times in between there and uh Yeah, let's say you put 100 hours on a bike and I've had, you know, 20 big bikes and, you know, all kinds of little bikes. I've had so many bikes growing up. Typically, like a normal day of riding, you want to try to get like an hour of seat time would be awesome. I remember some of the places I lived at, we would get two hours of seat time in a day. And to some people, that probably doesn't sound much. But everything you're doing is, it's very strenuous. You're using all your muscles. It's high cardiovascular. So yeah, to ride for two hours a day is, it's a long time.
0: Countless hours of seat time. And that's where, you know, I always call it tuition. Tuition doesn't just refer to you went and spent money and earned college credits. You have to go get those life experiences. And in your case, that seat time puts you kind of in the cockpit, literally, to understand what you're teaching other riders and understand what works and what doesn't and then you mentioned something about places you rode two hours you actually went and lived at some of the top tracks or training compounds or training facilities in the motocross supercross sport is that correct that's
1: correct and that's kind of a cool thing too because I'd say by the time I started racing, when I was seven, there really wasn't much for coaching out there. You could buy this DVD. It was like a Gary Semick's DVD. It was maybe two hours long and he actually had a couple of them. So I'd say you could watch maybe 10 to 20 hours of footage. And this dude was pretty old school. It was like, you know, I couldn't imagine many kids nowadays would sit there and listen to it, but I just, you know, truly wanted to get better. I had a piece of property, which is where we do all of our training now. So when I was a kid, I started out with just watching those DVDs and, you know, just studying it and then going out there and trying it. And then later in life, I was just, you know, looking for, you know, by the time I was 16, 17, there was maybe one or two facilities out there. And the one was pretty new. I found it on YouTube and I was like really researching it. I was begging my mom to go there and my parents to go there. And, you know, it was a big process because, you know, 16, 17, I had to make that decision of like, if I really want to do this and really try to gamble and make it happen, I had to do the homeschooling route, you know, just put all of my eggs in one basket and see where it took
0: me. And then you actually went and lived at some of these facilities by yourself.
1: Yep. So when I was like 16, you know, they would have a coach there or whatever. And I would live in my camper and they were basically my uh, legal guardian. And uh, yeah, you would wake up early seven in the morning. You would do like an hour of cardio. You'd eat your breakfast. You ride all day. You do your bike work. You do a workout at the end of the day. And that was basically all we did every single day. So anything it took to be a little bit better on the bike is where we put all of our focus.
0: And that's what again, back to that tuition. So that these are the steps that somebody takes to be a good coach and a good trainer. Like you, you recognize you wanted to be at the top of the sport and you made the commitment and the sacrifices. And certainly your family did to go and do those things, including living in another state on a property and basically homeschooling and riding every day. Right now, what about USMCA. So you act, so there's now actually a a certification for coaches and trainers and and you have that correct?
1: Correct. So yeah, that's really grown the sport a lot. I feel like that came out maybe, I don't know. I think I heard about it probably two years ago. they have probably been around maybe three, four years at this point, but I was, I think the first certified coach here in Wisconsin Uh, at this point, it has grown quite a bit. There's a lot of coaching and it's grown the sport a lot. Like when I was a kid growing up, you know, you'd see the kind of the speeds of everyone and the techniques. And like I was saying, there wasn't much out there. So we were all kind of just riding and just, there wasn't much structure to it. So now the the structure and the training is next level. So you go to a race nowadays and even from the six-year-old kids, all the way up to 50-year-olds is very advanced and the techniques have changed so much. So it's really cool.
0: And now there's an acc- accreditation body, a group that will award a certification that says, you know, Lucas has demonstrated he's proficient in the right training methods, proper training methods to safely take a rider from point A to B.
1: Correct. Yeah. There's a lot of steps that go into it and you really don't want to take any shortcuts and you really want to be, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous sport. So it is very important to go out there and get a coach and make sure that you have proper training and if you don't, you're you know, you'll progress if you keep going to the track. Uh, yeah, it's super important to have that structure and have someone watching over you.
0: In the certification thing, from a, a coaching standpoint, over the years, for those that don't don't know, I owned a large commercial gym and in at any given time I had 12 to 14 employees, a couple interns, and about half of them were trainers and coaches. It's not that a certification makes the coach or trainer. But what the certification does in my eyes, it says that person was willing to do the little things, the extra little step that says, Hey, I I actually know what I'm doing. And I've, I've earned this accreditation. I've earned this certification. And, and to me, that starts to separate coaches and trainers. It's not that without that, somebody can't be a coach and trainer, they can, but it, it really speaks to is that is that coach or trainer willing to do the little things and when I look at certifications that that's what that tells me
1: and it kind of all goes back to like I was saying when I was training like every little thing I could do to be a little bit better I was always willing to do that when it came to my racing and that's a cool thing about dirt bikes in my opinion is it's kind of carried out in my entire life at this point so like all of those little things and the training and you know you have to put a lot of like you know mindset work into it like all of those things that i've worked on for so many years have really just changed my my demeanor and the way i do things nowadays even with business
0: that certification is an example of just one of those little things and if we cherry pick motocross or supercross and you own your own property and and we'll talk about that in a little bit but let's just what's what's a good lap time on your supercross track
1: Good lap time on the supercross track is somewhere around 52 seconds. You know, that's a solid supercross lap time. I mean, uh, if you were to watch it on TV, they're doing you know, sometimes it's around 52 seconds as well.
0: So, 52 seconds now we're talking about the little things that matter. If you take fractions of a second off, you just gave yourself a half a bike length potentially at the checkers, right. and that's why the you know, that's just one example why the little things matter. And then when we look at somebody moving like you have from athlete to coach, trainer, business owner, the little things matter in business too.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You don't want to overlook anything. I feel like, you know, you want to have the littlest details as best as possible as well. So even with business, you know, it's always like work in progress. So, you know, I'm always learning new things. I try to put all of the time into just like, you know, if it's, trying to make everything look nicer when you pull in the driveway or whatever it is, you know, I try to do, I put my focus on every little detail. So, you know, I really do put a hundred percent into this. I don't do too much else other than just really try to put a hundred percent into my riders and, and grow in the business and just being the best I can with, with this. Cause it's what I'm passionate about.
0: And that, and that again is why like I, the certification doesn't make the coach or trainer, but when I see people willing to do that little thing, it usually indicates they're going to do the other little things and the little things matter. They matter in business and they definitely matter when you have a coach or trainer that's working with you or maybe even your kids. Right. So that's, that's huge. Your facility is in Wisconsin.
1: Correct. We're about, yeah, five miles from the Illinois border.
0: And you have like walk us through what's at your facility.
1: So at our facility we have super cross track and it's, it's a great track for like learning supercross. You know, there's not much around here for supercross. A lot of it's out in California and in florida and stuff like that so we're basically the first supercross track that you can come and ride here in wisconsin so it's kind of a cool thing for all these kids around here the sport has progressed so much here in the midwest and now that we have something like this it's really growing the sport around here as well and then we have an outdoor track which that track gets a little bit more rutted and you see like some mud and stuff out there some elevation a little bit of a longer lap time in some ways i would say people would think that's a little bit more challenging But as well, it it depends on if you're hitting all the jumps too. So Supercross is a little bit more dangerous. It's more about timing and flow than our outdoor track with elevation and, you know, a little bit of mud ruts. That one is about being, you just, you need really good technique for all of those things. We also have a woods loop and some beginner loops and just all kinds of drills that we can set out here on the property. So from beginning
0: to And you kind of recognize that from a facility standpoint, you you really need to, check all of the boxes you're able to provide a really rutted muddy course to train people on and you're able to provide a super cross course that's not going to be as muddy and you're able to do it in the midwest
1: right yeah it's really cool i think uh, i try to make a track that works for everyone and that's a really difficult thing to do but at this point, I've been doing it my whole life. I've ridden at tracks all around the country. I'm constantly studying the different tracks and the different soils and the different things that they're mixing in. That way we have everything you need. So when you get to the races, you're not going to feel out of place. There's, you know, we have every size jump and different corners and off cambers and, you know, like things that are angled differently. We have a little bit of everything. So you can you can have that wide spectrum of training when you come here.
0: And that that too comes from that tuition that you paid. As a young rider, traveling, living in other states, really as a kid, seeing and experiencing firsthand what it's like to ride in clay, what it's like to ride in sand, what it's like to ride in hard, hard, dry, packed earth in in all of those things. And you're able to bring that back and deliver that experience in your own facility to the athletes you train. In full disclosure, I haven't said this yet, but I've gone and, and worked with Lucas I'm kind of the, the middle-aged old and slow guy. My son has as well. And when we look at that, you you have people like me that is a that approaching 50 years of age, never raced, zero experience really on a dirt bike. And then you've got five-year-olds, some cases top five in the entire country. I know uh, just a week ago, cherry picking 65, there's a young man that He's one of 114 racers that made it to the races last week. And then he was a top 10 and I believe one event. And then you've got teenagers that are on the verge of becoming pro. Like you can't get more diverse than that in terms of your customers. So from your standpoint, what does that look like?
1: It actually, you know, it could look pretty overwhelming at times. You have all these different people out there with different skill levels and things like that. But to just simplify it, it just all comes down to just the little things all over again. So if I if I'm working with someone and it's their first day at the track, well, you really want to make it simple and kind of work on one thing at a time. and that way it's not too overwhelming. You try to just work on the basics. If it's their first day riding. Well, they're gonna to have to come back tons of times before you start to learn. You know, you could keep coming back and there's a new technique every single time you come back for almost you know, I'd say a year or two years if you're coming consistently. There's always something new to learn. But then you have someone that's, you know top five in the country. Well, now it comes down to those tenths of seconds. If everyone's doing a 52 second lap time, what can you do to be a little bit faster? Whether it's in your shifting or, you know, your corner speed, your entry speed, it could even be in like, did you sleep good last night? Are you properly warmed up before the race? Like anything that you can do to try to be a little bit better, whether it's, you know, eating healthy hydration, you have to be confident when you're on the line too. So with someone that's top five in the country, we're looking at like, you have to go really deep into it to find the little things to get better. But if you have someone day one riding on the track, there's always something to learn. So you could always add in new techniques and stuff, but just starting with one thing at a time is important.
0: From a a coaching standpoint, one thing that you typically do that's interesting and I think powerful in terms of delivering results and being able to do it much faster. If we look at the classroom, some students learn by hearing some learn by seeing some learn by doing and then some have to put all three together right in euphoria mx you oftentimes have two coaches so yep. you have one coach demonstrating and and that's typically Cody Van Buskirk and he's also a pro racer correct and so Cody's going to demonstrate so people can see and then Lucas is there you're there in the dirt and now you can say and tell so now they can hear and then they're given an opportunity to hop on their bikes and do what they were just taught and shown and then you have two coaches in the dirt right there hands-on saying nope correct this small thing
1: yeah and that's why i think it's really cool too it kind of all goes back to my my whole career like that's why euphoria mx is what it is today is when i was seven years old and i was watching those little dvds i had to watch something to learn it and then I'd go out there and try it and at a certain point it's like you know eventually I get faster than my dad my dad kind of grew up riding and stuff too so eventually when I was faster than my dad he couldn't really help me too much anymore so at that point it was like all right dad now I need you to record every race and every lap that I'm doing so when I'm done I can go back and study that footage and now go into all these other facilities and stuff I kind of see some of the things that they weren't doing like we didn't have someone to show and I'm kind of that type of person I like to to watch and learn and, you know, have someone over me all the time telling me like, you could do this a little bit better, that a little bit better. So I just so try to, you were,
0: forward. so you were already as a kid, that's very intuitive. You were already asking your dad to film you and then yeah. watching your footage. Yeah. Yeah. So I was it-
1: so big about all that stuff. I like, I just wanted to be the the best I possibly could. And I would watch these videos and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing all this stuff, right. And I could always pick out even little things with myself. I'm like, oh man, I just saw that dude on TV doing this. And I'm, you know, 12 years old doing it like that. Like I I can see that I need to do this a little bit differently. So I was studying footage at a young age. And,
0: you know, if you look at a college football program, they have film days. Oh yeah. Yet here you are a kid in Wisconsin. This isn't the hub of, of motocross, right? It's right. Wisconsin. Like they got cheese yeah. and you're having your dad videotape you. And then you're, you're watching it and you were, you were able to see, Hey, I watched the Semic video and I saw this and I thought I was doing that. But when I watched the video, I'm not right. Is that how you arrived at having the, the two coach?
1: Yeah, that is because I felt like it was essential. I I think you, you kind of need to have like, like we're talking about, everyone learns a little bit differently, but I think if you have both things there, you have someone kind of breaking down the techniques and someone demonstrating it, it just makes it that much easier. There's times where, like you said, some, sometimes It is the one coach. And typically that would be for a one-on-one or something. But if I'm doing a one-on-one and I tell someone like, Hey, try it like this. And they can't quite figure it out. I know that person needs to see it. I'm going to have to go out there and demonstrate it. So that's what I'll end up doing if it's just the one coach. But we try to, at this point, we want it to be two coaches all the time because that's just what works.
0: And we owned an athletic Republic franchise, which trains athletes. We would teach proper running mechanics. We would do it on a treadmill with a coach right next to the athlete in front of a mirror. So now the athlete could see here and be corrected by the coach. And one of the first times I, I went and watched Euphoria train, I'm like, holy cow. they're How did they, I wonder how these guys came up with this? Because I don't think a lot of people in motorsports of any type are doing that.
1: Yeah, there's really not. I haven't seen too many people do it. I've seen some people try it and they just they ended up not sticking with it. But yeah, for us, it's worked very great. And uh, yeah, if it's working great for us, I don't really see a need to change it, but we're always looking for growth and new ideas and trying new things as well. So we just do that with the two coaches.
0: The The only the only way to make that better would be to provide instant video feedback, which the, the ability in reality to do that with today's technology is hard. Like on a treadmill, you could have a fixed camera and there's there's software available where it'll record and then it will stop and then it will play that clip two or three times. So the athlete could hop off the treadmill and see, but, but really that, that might be down the road, but I I think you guys are doing it. And I think, go ahead. I would
1: would love to get the videos out there so people can see them right away. If you were to like, look at our social media, you can see we're out there taking tons of videos. And if you come to a class, you know, at, at the end, we'll be taking videos and stuff like that. I'm sure there's some people that are thinking like, is he coaching right now at this point when we have the two coaches out there? But at the end of the day, Cody and I will both sit down and we review all of that footage. We're taking down notes. So the next time you come back, we have more things to work on. And if I could get that out to our clients and our riders and all the people that we're working with, like really quick, I could almost put some notes in there for them as well and, and break it down even more. Because there's tons of things that like, if I'm just sitting there at night, like I can just pick out so many little things. I'm sending people text messages and all kinds of stuff. So
0: there should be no surprise to that if you were intuitive enough to ask your dad to film and we're we're studying and reading your mechanics on the bike in your film of you. Yeah. And then, you know, using technology at the time and then once again, using technology, which is grabbing that footage and then being able to look at it and say, Hey, this rider next time I need to remind them, the elbows need to be here because every time I watch them on tape, They're doing it wrong. So that's pretty powerful. And that too, you know, I don't, I don't know that every coaching and training business is using current technology and using the tools available. And you know, the reality of it is everybody's got one of these.
1: Yeah, I agree. And even for me, it's like there's certain things that, like right now, I'm my watering system could be a little bit better when I think about it. It's like, you know, I spend so much time working on the track. If you can get these systems a little bit better where You know, it's like if you look at Walmart, everything is self-checkout now. Things are changing and not everyone loves that kind of stuff. But kind of what I'm getting at is if I can get my track to self-water and things like that, I can save time with not having to work on the track so much and putting in a little bit more time for the, the training and the coaching as well.
0: You're in the Midwest. You have your own property. You have a big valley and we're recording this in November. So we're at the start of the valley it's it's going to be winter the ground's going to freeze we'll have snow we'll have sleet and, right. which means for a business like yours it can be seasonal but you found a way to fill in that valley by doing some indoor training talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i think that's a huge key to making the midwest grow in this sport a lot because yeah there was nowhere to ride growing up in the winter we live in you know wisconsin or the midwest you know there's people all around here that can't ride all winter So now that there's an indoor track here in Mendota, Illinois, it's ran by great people. They run the whole district 17 races and everything like that. They're great people to be involved with. And the track is great for training. So to be inside and to have that opportunity to, to learn new habits and break, you know, old habits and to just continue progressing is a huge value to our sport.
0: This sport in the Midwest is starting to see. Two things: one, that young kids are receiving proper instruction because they're not having the falls and even little things. If you have a five or six-year-old and and they tip over, they need to be able to pick up the motorcycle. Yep. And a lot of the kids are now able to do that. Now some of them, like my kid's done this. He just stood there and looked at it in a race because, in his words, he was tired. But you guys are teaching the little things, like even like here's how you pick your motorcycle back up and get going. And at the bigger and I think we're, from what I've heard, we're, we're seeing the sport is starting to see Midwest kids be more competitive because they have an indoor place to ride in the winter instead of having to take months off or move to Florida or out West.
1: Right. And now that all of these riders are getting, you know, better techniques and stuff, especially, you know, the sport has grown and the techniques have changed over the years. I also think the longevity of a motocrosser's career is going to be a little bit longer as well. I'm 27 years old, and I think the average lifespan of a professional motocross racer is 27. A lot of the top guys retired at that age. I think with the with new techniques, and if you're focusing really heavily on these techniques, you're going to have a longer career and less injuries, which was a, a huge downfall of this sport You know, 10, 20 years ago. The injuries are so bad, but if you can perfect your technique, and the bikes are a little bit easier to maintain, a little bit more reliable, things like that, the sport is going to grow.
0: So you and you found a way to fill the winter valley and take a, a seasonal business into a business that you can do year round, which is producing better athletes, athletes that are going to be more competitive just because they get seat time 12 months of the year, not eight or nine. But then there's techniques that you teach that are going to allow the rider to do things correctly and correctly means you're safer and correct and safe means you're faster
1: Yeah. And there's, there's some techniques that everyone needs to be doing and it's very important. And then there's other techniques where it's like sitting down in a corner with a certain rut. Like there's, you know, not one right or wrong way to do it. You can, some people will sit down here. Some people will sit down there. We'll go over all those things.
0: So you'll cover the the options. And again, it's, it's going to lead to that safer rider, greater longevity, and then a better lap time. And even drawing on a memory from our old business, we had division one university football head football coach come and see me to see what we we're doing with our athletes and he spent like an hour with us and then made the the head strength coach come spend a few hours with me which the dude was really not happy about the football coach said he goes what what I'm seeing is in a real simple way to state it you're teaching athletes to get in good football positioning athletes in good football positioning don't get hurt i can't i can't coach athletes on the sidelines on crutches Right. So back to your cornering thing, those, those little things that matter, the techniques are going to allow that rider to stay on the bike, be safer. And that's going to lead to, they get more reps and they get more coaching because they're not injured. And you know, that translates to better lap times and faster riding.
1: Right and yeah more confidence too cuz yeah if you're if you're crashing a lot and you're getting hurt like that can take a big toll on you. Yeah it's important to just stay healthy and just be consistently putting in those laps.
0: I've always been of the opinion going back over 20 years the first time I saw a powerlifting great who was also a coach work with a 2B powerlifter I realized that it it's not just the athlete it's the combination of an athlete and a good coach and a good coach inspires confidence in the athlete. And suddenly the athlete's able to do things they otherwise couldn't. And you just mentioned confidence. And, you know, if you've fallen off of a, a motorcycle, you've crashed on a dirt bike, it does set your confidence back from a coaching standpoint. How do you manage that? How do you bring that rider's confidence back up?
1: Yeah, I try to be very smart about it and try to have a strategy. You know, it's like if someone's coming over to the track and like, man, I really want to hit this jump or something. I'm trying to tell them you're going to get more of a benefit out of working on this or that. And eventually when you're ready, we'll go work on that jump. But it's about just managing it. And that was one thing I didn't really have growing up was, you know, I was trying to learn those things and try it and go faster and faster, but I didn't really have someone tell me, like, hey, you're not quite ready for this yet. You should be working on that instead. And that's another thing that I feel like I've been able to integrate into our training program was I made tons of mistakes, you know, growing up, I did everything just trial and error to try to figure it out. And I learned a lot from that. So we try to just strategize it and you don't want to be doing some type of race that, you know, if it's your first race ever, you don't want to line up with 40 people on the line. Like the, the chances of getting hurt are going to be higher. So you want to try to minimize that risk of getting hurt as best as possible. It is a dangerous sport.
0: After riders is had a, a decent tip over and they're not, they're not injured to where they can't ride and train the skill sets there, the techniques are still with the rider. They're not going to decondition or end up out of shape overnight yet they get on the bike and they're, they're scared. Like what do you do to try and start to bring back that confidence? So they're not focused on crashing again. And they're actually just focused on riding.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a tough one and everyone handles it differently. You know, If someone, for example, like crashes off the start and they were trying their hardest and they're right up there in the mix. Like, how do you convince them? Like, Hey dude, try that again on the next one. And I promise that won't happen. Some people can fall over and get right back up and it doesn't affect them. And other people will fall and you truly see it affect them. And that's why racing is 90% mental. You can have every technique possible, but if you mentally are, are frightened or scared on that line, it's going to be hard to go out there and give it a hundred percent. So we're trying to just make sure that a training day, if you're having a lot of fun, like if you if you have a race this weekend and you have a really fun day of training, you're going to kind of go to sleep in a great mood. You're going to wake up the next day and you're going to be thinking about how much fun you had. But if you just if you're going out there and you're you have a race this weekend and someone is just destroying you all week, you know, you can get down on yourself and things like that. So we try to like manage those emotions, too. We're just trying to make sure that mentally they're ready to go when when the gate drops so yeah we're trying to avoid those crashes we're trying to avoid all those things when it does happen it can take a little bit to get back up there again but we're always working on that mindset and the mental aspect
0: and it's a mixed bag kind of like you said everybody's going to handle it different yet there you are as the coach you are the one holding the mixed bag so you might have somebody where you just tell them hey do it again, it won't happen. And boom, they, they try it. And I, I believe good coaches, the athlete will look at the coach and say, all right, coach, cause they trust you, but you're still going to have some people that just, that just won't. And you're in the position where you've got to figure out the right Avenue to correct it.
1: Yeah. And that's why I'm always looking at the positives. Like, what can we learn from that situation? Like, yeah, that, that sucked or, you know, it didn't go the way you planned how can we work on that like what can you learn from that to do it better next time so there's always something to gain and i feel like those hardships and those ups and downs like you have to have those like the the hard times to grow from it you know if everything is easy if you just go out there and you're really not working on much and you know you, you'll have fun and stuff but if you really want to progress you have to have that structure as well
0: the obstacles are the staircase like yep. we, we're not avoiding that if you yeah, want to get better
1: yeah you don't want to you don't want to step away from it you want to You want to face it head on and try to figure out, you know, like how to get through those tough times. And, and that really makes you grow as a person as well.
0: So business wise, you guys, you offer one-on-one coaching, a, a larger group experience where you, you have the two coaches, one's teaching, one's demonstrating. And then after the demonstration, they're both in the dirt. But then this, this last year, it sounded like from a business standpoint, you started to do more small group coaching. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, We try to do a little bit of everything. Like you were saying, we do the one-on-one because some people really need that one-on-one. A lot of beginners, we we recommend the one-on-one. If it's your first time on a track, you don't want to just go out there with tons of people with all kinds of different, you know, experience and skill levels, and then, and go out there and try to learn it. So we have the one-on-ones and we'll even work with people, you know, suspension testing, all that kind of stuff works great for the one-on-one we'll do a big group and at first when we first started some of those groups can get pretty crowded and that's kind of how it was at some of these places when I was growing up you go to a big facility you can get lost out there you know there's so many people I think the like a middle sized group you need a couple people to kind of push you Um, some people feed off that very well like they love having someone out there to push them and we try to get it so it's similar skill levels so we'll have every, everything's a little bit different every week. So we have, you know, a little bit of one on one, a little bit of semi-private and the group stuff where a lot of these facilities are just monthly, one big group and come on out and just ride and you'll kind of get lost in the group.
0: From a business standpoint, the small group or semi-private, we, we teach and have taught, we did it our own business. A lot of our clients to, to do that and to focus on more revenue per customer. And, and understand anybody that's watching this saying it's not all about the money. Well, I got news for you. Uh, Lucas has got, got to put gas in his tractors. He has to maintain the equipment to water his track. Euphoria MX has to make money. There's nothing wrong with revenue per customer and increasing that because the track owner, the coach, Euphoria MX owner can invest in the business. But looking at that small group dynamic, What's nice is it brings up the revenue per unit of time, revenue per hour. Also see this with one-on-one training. If somebody wants Monday at four o'clock, once you sign someone up, you can't sign someone else up. So someone's not getting training. So now you're able to train more people at the time that they're available to come in, get the training and you probably make a little bit more money. But the other thing you mentioned is that group dynamic and you, Are you seeing the riders pushing each other and stuff?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, everyone will kind of push each other. And it's really cool when, you know, you get a a battle, you you get two of these kids that are really pushing each other. And then you see that when you get to a national, these kids are doing way better because they're able to push each other at home when we're training here, which is, it's huge. You have to have someone to push you. And, you know, the one-on-one is important too. Sometimes you need to just have that, like just all eyes on you but you also have to have like, now once you learn all these techniques, you need to be able to do it at a race. So if you can't do it when you're practicing with other riders and training with other riders, it's gonna be hard to do at the race day. So you gotta be able to adapt and and work on these techniques when there's other people around too, but we'll do that as a small group. And with enough people now, we can have like an advanced group, intermediate group and beginner group.
0: And then also within that small group environment, there, there has to be benefit. And I can speak personally for me because I, I've experienced it. Looking at other riders being taught, and then being like, oh, I'm doing that wrong. <laughs> like yeah. I do it the way he's doing it. And and the coach is saying this is the better way. So it's an opportunity for the other people to learn too. And we're back to that see, here, do.
1: Yeah. And that, yeah, sometimes you could pull someone off and be like, Hey, you're not doing this. Look, there's literally everyone else out there is doing it. And if you can see that sometimes like, Oh yeah, I guess I am slacking on that. Or I wasn't actually thinking about that when I was out there riding. So that kind of goes back to the, let's focus on one thing here. I see you can make a really big improvement in this one area. Everyone else is doing it. You got to really focus on that out there. And you, sometimes if you're just doing a one-on-one, you don't really get that experience as well.
0: I think it's win-win for everybody. The coaching business has an opportunity to serve more people, generate more revenue, and the athletes have an opportunity to watch other people riding and they get to soak in all the instruction those other riders are getting as well as the stuff they're getting themselves. Yeah. One of the things I find interesting that that you do, and I, I want to ask where this came from, but it's something we tell everybody, like be willing to give value first, you know, give, give value. Don't look to get money for it. You go to a local race. If you're there, there's a good chance that you're helping set the sag on people's dirt bikes that aren't even your customers. Right. How did you arrive at that? Because you talk about giving value in some cases, these people aren't like, I would say most aren't even your customers yet. There you are.
1: Yeah. I say, again, it kind of goes back to, like day one, when I was starting to race and go through the ranks, and I'm getting to these different tracks, and I'm riding with new people, and I'm going across the country. Well, some days you're riding on sand, and some days you're riding on clay, and some some days it's muddy, and some tracks are really bumpy, and you have all different kinds of obstacles and stuff. So SAG would be like setting your suspension on the bike. That was one thing growing up, like I didn't really have like there was not much knowledge, like there wasn't many people teaching it. So I would kind of just go with that trial and error. Like I'm at this track, let's try these different settings and all that kind of stuff. And I found out like, Whoa, this is a huge aspect of riding a dirt bike. And if we don't understand, like, if I don't understand it, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the top level. So I made it a point to really get good at it. I started messing with suspension when I was probably 15 or 16, I'm 27 now. So I have over 10 years of experience with it. It's one of those things too, where if you just come to a training class, you're like, Hey, can you teach me about suspension? I really can't because you know there's certain things i could tell you but it's really it comes to that 10 years of experience like i i could look at the bumps and the spacing and the size and how hard or loose the soil is and just know this bike needs to be a, about here for it to work properly and if i could do that and they go ride it they're like wow that's a game changer
0: you're doing that for people you're not getting paid so you're lucas is at the racetrack as a coach and a business owner and you're just offering, like, I've seen it. You're just setting people's sag and in, in helping them. How'd you, how'd you come up? Like, why are you doing that? I suppose it all comes down to just passion. Like I'm
1: trying to be that person that I didn't have, you know, like there's gotta be someone out there that can do those things for you. And if I could be that person to, you know, help and, you know, I can't I can't teach you 10 plus years of experience right away, but I can, you know, just go over the basics and make sure that people understand the importance of suspension. There's a lot of people- that will go buy a dirt bike and just go ride it. They don't understand that, you know, the spring has tension on it. You can put more or less tension on it and you can set that bike up specifically for your weight. It only takes a couple minutes. And if I can just do that for each rider at the track and keep them on their bike and teach them like, hey, this bike, you know, can feel way better than what it is. That's gonna make riding more fun for that person. So the, the passion.
0: From a business standpoint, I see that is you're able to provide value you're not in a sales position, people walk up, you're usually wearing a Euphoria branded hoodie, t-shirt, it's a hat, whatever it might be. So people know you're with something called Euphoria MX, but you're not there looking for people's money. I mean, I I literally watched at a race. I don't know how many people one after the other came up and they, you know, in some cases they were another coaching business customers, yet there you were. And that's, you know, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of just the way I've actually been my entire life. Kind of going back to like those little, like if I was injured for six months at a time, you wouldn't just find me sitting at home, like moping around being all pouty. I was at the track recording that one corner being like, dude, there's four ruts in this corner. I'd run all the way across the track to the starting gate, just to show my buddy who's sitting on the line. Like, look at this corner. There's four ruts over there. If you take this line, it's going to be the best line. And that's just the way I've always been. Like if I see something or if I can do something to just make it, That much better for you. I'll I'll try it.
0: I think that speaks to why you're you've been growing and and why you've been successful. And it's why you're where you are today as a coach. But the business thing, like that, like we outright tell our clients that like find something to give away for free of value. Like quite literally, give the farm away. People will come back and they'll ask for more and it'll give you it, it will open the door for you to have a conversation about maybe they become your customer. But I've watched you do that and I'm like, this is brilliant. And, and I was that guy, like I bought my kid a dirt bike. I didn't set the sag. I didn't even think about it. You know, money
1: doesn't buy happiness. So if I can just reach back, like that's truly what makes me happy is being able to help. And it's really cool that, you know, I put my entire life into riding dirt bikes and I knew I wanted to be a top professional. I knew I wanted to surround myself with dirt bikes the rest of my life. I wasn't sure what I was going to do to make that happen. But at this point I have found a way to make money doing it. So it's just I think everyone needs to find that thing that they're passionate about and at least just give it a try, you know? It's like, you never know what you can do unless you try. That's why I'm here today.
0: I believe anybody can be anything if they want to, but you're gonna have to put in the time, you're gonna have to pay the tuition and get the experience and become an expert. You know, if we look at the author, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, he talks about 10,000 times to be good. We used to tell ball sport athletes, well, if it's 10,000 to be good, you start at 10,000 reps and you keep going. We look at Lucas, we look at Euphoria MX rider development, that it's 10,000 times. It's how many hours do you have at a racetrack going back to the time you're seven years old? How many hours do you have on the seat of a bike? That built the foundation and that gave you the experience. Even like today, you would ask before we went live about, you know, what we're going to talk about and different things. And how you've never done something like this? Well, the reality of it is, you don't have to prepare. You, right. You you spent the last 19 years of your life, 20 years of your life, preparing. Right. You're an expert. Yep. Remaining relevant, so you found a way to remain relevant to the to the sport of motocross. For staying
1: relevant in the sport, at this point, I'm I'm really studying the tracks and stuff. Like I'm going to these amateur races, and I'm really studying all the little things. Like I was talking about, kind of like the dirt, the soil. I'm really trying to get all of that perfect. So we have those little things going. So, and staying relevant in the sport too, just studying it as much as possible. And even adding in a couple of the things that, you know, aren't really huge in the sport, like the mental aspect of it is really overlooked. So we're trying to integrate that as much as well.
0: You know, you mentioning that, what was it? 90, 10 for racing. Yeah. I look at when a, when a rider falls and they get back up. So they're not injured. There's no ambulance ride, nothing like that. They get back up. Like I said before, the skills are there. They didn't decondition in two seconds. Right. Yet they, they get on the motorcycle. They start riding again and they're not the same. And that's all between their ears.
1: Yeah, it truly is. I mean, it's like kind of like that, see it, believe it, achieve it. Like if you're sitting there on the line telling yourself like, Oh man, there's a bunch of fast people here today. Like that dude showed up, that dude showed up. Like I'm most likely going to be fifth. Like that's a very limiting mindset when you're sitting there on the line. But if you can really just have that internal talk with yourself and keep trying to tell yourself, like, I am good enough. And I do have what it takes and I've put in the effort and today is my day to shine. That right there will change your whole day. And it, it makes a huge difference with your riding.
0: And I don't think that's talked about enough by coaches and trainers, because again, I, I, I watch coaches and good coaches inspire confidence in their athletes. doesn't matter the sport. I don't think we, as coaches and trainers, spend enough time sharing that with the athletes. Like, listen, you have to believe you've done the work and you're ready and able to do this.
1: Yeah. And there's sometimes it can get defeating for the riders. And even sometimes the parents where the parents are watching, like, what's going on? Like, I've seen them ride way better. But as a trainer, sometimes I could look at and be like, his suspension was off for those little things. So if I can go in and fine tune it, and then the next moto they go out and their confidence is back up again, it's like those little things can make a big difference too. And there's some parents that have never raced or ridden and, you know, they're watching from the outside. And if I can just give them, you know, my perspective, like, Hey, I've been in that situation. I know what's going through his head. This is the biggest race he's ever done in his entire life. Like there's so many things going on and, or sometimes you don't quite reach that goal and everyone's like, Oh, well I let myself down because I set this big goal, but I didn't accomplish it. But in some ways too, that's going to make you want to work harder. And, you know, if you set a goal, you don't have to get it that next race, like just, you know, keep, Keep progressing until you get there.
0: That goes back to the years of experience, the tuition, becoming an expert, having more than ten thousand reps. You can watch the bike, and I've seen you do this. You watch the bike and say the suspension's not right for the track today. That's why the bike is doing this. Yeah. And and if you fix that, and I've seen you fix it, then the rider is like a different different person on the track.
1: Yeah. And really, the only the only people I've seen do that are the top teams. Like. There's, you know, a couple top teams. You've had these riders like, you know, Adam Ciencerillo, who's been a factory rider since he was, you know, 10 years old or something like that. He's had that guy sitting there the whole time watching his suspension, studying it. I got the videos, you know, the bikes kind of kicking, It's moving this much in the bumps. I've studied that footage for 10, 12 years as well. So I don't know if there's many other coaches that are doing that.
0: Now, what about what about training outside of? on the bike, on two wheels, in the dirt, whether it's fitness training or even ground-based training, where are you seeing that going? It's definitely growing
1: a lot. I'd say um, 10 years ago, not many people, like it was just have fun, ride your dirt bike. So that has, you know, and it's still about having fun and riding your dirt bike. If you lose that aspect, you're not going to, you're not going to get as good as, as if you're having fun, in my opinion. The training is really important. Like if you can become more flexible, you're less likely to get hurt. If you're stronger, you're going to be able to move the bike around a little bit better. And not only that, but be more confident on the line. There's all kinds of science with, you know, your bones can become stronger, you know, your muscles, your joints, your ligaments, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's it's huge if you want to be riding a dirt bike, especially at a top level and not get injured. You have to be putting the time in
0: from a, a training standpoint, from an exercise standpoint, weight training, cardio. In my opinion, and this I've experienced this, the time in the gym, the time doing the ground-based work allows you to be more confident on the dirt bike because yeah. it's it's easier. It's just like a rider riding a bike with an incorrect suspension setting. They're getting bumped and tossed around and, and they're they're working harder to ride and they know it you correct the suspension, you get the right setting, they go out and it's easier to ride and it's easier to ride fast, their confidence goes up. Right. If you put the time in in the gym, off the track, off the bike, and you put the time in to your conditioning and you show up and get on the bike and the bike feels light, the bike feels easy to move, uh, you finish a moto and you're short of breath, you're sweating, but you're not gasping for air. You're going to be more confident,
1: right? Yeah. If you're gasping for air and you're about to like faint or pass out or puke at the end of the moto, there's a good chance you started to fade at some point. And like, if you start to fade, you're going to fall back positions. Your technique is going to get sloppy pretty soon. Your arms are tired. You can barely pull in the clutch or the brakes. And if you get to that point, not only is it dangerous, but your results aren't going to be good either. If you could be in great shape, you're going to be that many steps ahead of the competition because There's a lot of people that aren't in great shape. And if you can just outwork them in the gym or off the bike, it will pay off dividends.
0: And you're going to be confident. I've had two times riding a dirt bike. Once about 20 years ago, I was in the best shape of my life. I was a a competitive bodybuilder. I was young and I was in amazing shape. And I remember the first time that particular period of time going out, the weather broke and I went and rode my dirt bike and it was easy. Everything yeah. about it was easy. And then I, I actually had that, the tail end of, of this riding season, I had changed what I was doing in the gym and, and I went, and I, it was at your track and I could feel that. And the yeah. biggest thing was my confidence. I was comfortable and I'm like, I could put this now understand I'm the old slow guy. But for me, I could put the bike where I wanted. I hadn't, I've, I have not been able to do that in 20 years.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I think too, just being able to stay consistent with something, like you tell yourself, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to stay consistent with it. Like that right there takes discipline and to ride a dirt bike takes a lot of discipline as well. So you got to be able to, to do those things. And that adds up. And kind of like I was saying too, like all I did all those things growing up and it's kind of carried on with my whole life now. So I do think that's a huge aspect with it.
0: The little things in the discipline matters. And that's how we see this often. How many former athletes in ball sports, just because there's a lot more ball sport athletes than there are in motorsports, sports, end up doing high level athletics. So typically collegiate level, maybe pro. And then they seem to seamlessly go have this successful career doing this thing over here. And it's like, well it's because at a young age, they became disciplined and focused, able to do the small things well with consistently. And I think you're a great example of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've basically done it all and, and seen it all. And I've trialed and erred with all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, it's, it's all changed a lot. And, um, you know, I've saved all my training programs throughout the years and kind of switched some things up and, uh, but yeah, we try to teach all these riders, all that kind of stuff as well, and, and really make sure they have that knowledge in
0: that area. I usually ask people for their top three must-dos and don't-dos. So what would you say your top three must-dos in business are? Like, what are the three things you feel you guys have to do at Euphoria?
1: Um, At Euphoria, three must-dos, I'd have to say building trust with everyone. You know, we try to build that trust with all of our clients and riders and, uh, that's huge. Staying on the same page with Cody and making sure that we're, you know, putting in the work on and off the track and and making things better. We always have to, you know, make sure everything is safe, you know, making sure the jumps are shaped up properly. It's got to be watered properly. Being organized is huge. You have to have a coach. You have to be structured. You have to have someone watching over you. And then I'd say the, the don'ts would be, don't just try to do it on your own. Don't try to look for any shortcuts. Don't, don't make it so hard that you're not having fun. It's gotta be fun. So that's a must as well. You gotta be having fun.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think the the fun thing's important. Otherwise, and I've seen that for coaches and trainers. I saw it in our own business. We'd have parents bring kids in for training that the kids didn't want to be trained. They yeah, didn't yeah. even want to play the sport that the dad was making them play anymore. Like they were so far checked out and and we actually said no i'm not taking your money and you're not signing your kid up they don't want to be here
1: yeah you have a lot of that there's some kids that are having a blast and you know they're going home begging like when can i come back when can i come back and then you have other people where they come off the track i was excited i saw the kid doing the techniques that i told him to do and dad's over there yelling at him so it's like that kid's not going to have as much fun if there's one thing only to take away from it is have as much fun as possible
0: what's on the horizon for euphoria where are you like what are your plans going forward
1: there's a couple options you see a lot of you know like there's you know huge facilities that are doing full-time like right now we're doing kind of like each session is you know we'll do the one-on-one the semi-private the group we could do, we could kind of go that route where we have a full-time facility. I don't know if it would be the same location I'm at now, maybe buy like something bigger, but also if I were to do a big facility like that, I think it would be ultimately awesome to have a racetrack too, where, you know, this race I just went to in Florida, they do one race a year. They just pulled in 5,000 racers. It's crazy. They come from all over the country and actually out of the country as well so i'd say maybe even a race series eventually you know only have like one or two races a year and then full-time training so i think that would be ultimately my goal
0: anything else you want to add I'd say
1: if there's anyone out there thinking about getting
0: a dirt bike you should
1: definitely do it go to that usmca website check it out there's definitely going to be some coaches in your area and if not i'm sure you could either reach out to them or reach out to me i can uh you know give you some feedback i know people from all over the country definitely look into riding dirt bikes and having fun with it and if there's anything that you're passionate about, make sure you go out there and you try to make make it happen and just see what you can do with it.
0: So, and, and I have one thing to add and it was in my notes and I kind of skipped over it, but you do something and you've done this from day one and it's how I heard about you. And, and we'll just share you using Canva to create what you post for your next training event, right? Yep. And you have a, a visually appealing picture Graphic, if you will, it says what the athletes are going to work on, what they're going to get out of the training. It has the location, it has the time and date. It's yep. super simple, and and you're quite literally creating it off your cell phone, right? Yeah. I, I see a lot of small businesses, they're not doing that. Like you need to make it in the blink of an eye simple so people understand what what the training's about, like what it is you offer, where it is, when it is super simple.
1: Yeah, super simple. But again, I feel I almost have 10 plus years of experience with that, with my dad sitting at all these races recording it and I'm sitting there studying it. Sometimes I'd go on YouTube and make like a little edit with all these videos when I'm, you know, 12, 13 years old, just having fun with editing videos and just all of that. Like now 27 years old, every little thing that I've done, you know, with dirt bikes, whether it's working on tracks and going to this facility and, you know, bobcat work or whatever it is. It's all kind of added into where I'm at today, so it's really crazy to see that.
0: And it shows, and it shows up in the in the things that you're doing, right down to when you post when the next training session is going to be. Yeah, it, you can see that, and it comes across in the ad or the the image that's marketing that next event. Well, cool. Well, Lucas, a million thanks, man. Appreciate you taking a piece out of your day to spend some time chatting, coaching the business of coaching, the business of motocross and supercross.
1: Thanks Ray. It's awesome. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon.
0: This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business and start growing today smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more.